Welcome to the Crossing Church Podcast. This week we continue our The Coming King series with a message titled, Take the High Ground. We hope you enjoy this weekend's message. We're so glad you joined us this weekend. Really want to encourage you. There's an awesome lobby experience for Christmas at all of our campuses. It's happening now and during our Christmas Eve services. So invite a friend and tell them to download our app, bring some headphones, and you can experience that in the lobby. Well, it's an honor to speak on the stage once again, and I want to thank Pastor for this opportunity. Pastor Greg will be back for the Christmas Eve services. You do not want to miss it. All the times and locations are at Crossing Christmas. And so thank you again, Pastor. Would you show your appreciation for Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamara? We love you guys. Thank you so much. Well, I see some sweaters out there. I'm not claiming mine to be an ugly sweater. I like my sweater. This is the skiing sloth. So I got the skiing sloth sweater today. And, you know, we've been in a series called The Coming King. We're looking to Jesus as the coming king. And Pastor has taught about the gates of Nehemiah, the seven mountains of influence, And last week, we learned about our assignment of influence. I encourage you to go youtube.com slash crossingchurch to watch that message, learn about our assignment here on the earth. And this week, I want to continue in that vein and talk about our assignment and how we need to keep our guards up as we engage with culture day to day. And so if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bible apps, if you would turn with me, we're going to be spending some time in the book of Judges. The book of Judges, it's early in the Old Testament. It's one of the first 10 books there. And we're going to go to Judges chapter 13. And because there's a pretty popular superhero movie out this weekend, maybe you've heard about a Spider-Man. I'm not going to give any spoilers, although I was very tempted to use an illustration, but I won't. I'll refrain. But we're going to talk about the story of Samson. Samson is kind of one of the superheroes of the Bible. He was said to have superhuman strength, but his story, I think, is a cautionary tale, and we can learn from how we engage with culture from the life of Samson. So Judges chapter 13, 13, starting with verse 5, this is an angel speaking to Samson's mother. It might sound a little familiar. It says, "'For indeed you will conceive and give birth to a son.'" But you are never to cut his hair because the boy will be a Nazarite to God from birth. And he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. Immediately before Samson was even born, he had a very high calling on his life. So the woman, Samson's mother, gave birth to a son and named him Samson. The boy grew, the Lord blessed him, and then the Spirit of the Lord began to direct him in the camp of Dan between two cities, Zorah and Eshtael. So Samson was born and took a Nazarite vow. And what that means is there were several things that he vowed to do or not do for the rest of his life. He, would to, he needed to abstain from consuming alcohol. He needed to leave his hair uncut. And he wasn't supposed to come in contact with dead animals or corpses. That was part of the Nazarite vow. And because he took that vow, God blessed him, gave him some incredible abilities in the, in the area of strength and charisma, and he had a calling on his life to actually begin to save Israel from the Philistines. And there's an important fact of the story about where Samson was assigned. And so we're going to look at this map several times. But the Bible says in those verses that Samson was assigned to the cities of Zorah and Eshtoel. You'll see them up here. And this is actually like a ridge, and down here is a valley. And so Samson was supposed to serve in Zorah and Eshtoel. And you'll see the Israelites were up there in the high country. And the Israelites' enemy were the Philistines, and they were down here. Uh, For one generation, you could think of it as the Hatfields and the McCoys. See, that laughter was only from people over 50. And now I'll say, 
You can also think of it as the Avengers and Thanos' army. See, that was everyone under 50. So I tried getting the whole span there. But you see, the problem was Samson didn't stay where God had called him to be. God called him to be in Zorah and Eshtael, but when Samson went to look for a wife, Samson went down to Timnah. Let's read farther in Judges chapter 14 now, one chapter over, flip over in your Bible or in your app, and it says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and his mother, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as a wife. See, all the parents are already laughing because you would not let your child talk to you like that. But you see, that verse says, Samson went down to Timnah. If we could go back to that map. You see, when the Bible talks about down or up, it's not talking about south or north. Up or down is not a direction, it is an elevation. And so when Samson went down to Timnah, it means he went off of the high place where the Israelites were, down into the valley, and down to Timnah. And so when you read in the Bible, up and down, it's an elevation, going up to Zoran Eshtel and down to Timnah. And you see, when he went down into the valley and down to Timnah, it was a both literal and figurative downward spiral. And so if you're taking notes, and I recommend you do, the title for today's message is this, Take the High Ground. Take the High Ground. And with that, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence that is here at all of our campuses and with everyone watching online. I pray that your presence be here, that you speak through me, speak to your people, and that we hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we as the church and as Christians need to take and remain on the high ground. The phrase, take the high ground, is used in military or conflict situations. If you have the high ground, it means you have an advantage, a military or a power advantage. Some of you, if you've seen the older Star Wars movies, may you remember this scene with Obi-Wan and Anakin. It says, it's over, Anakin, I have the high ground. It didn't end well for Anakin, if you remember. But it says, I have the high ground. Another way this phrase is used is saying we have the moral high ground. If someone has the moral high ground in an argument, it means they have a higher ethical position or a better ethical position. And so it could be a physical high ground, like in a military conflict, or a figurative high ground, like a moral standpoint. And in Samson's case, it meant both things. Samson went from a higher place, if we go back to that map, he went from a higher place with his people, the Israelites, Zoran and Eshtel, and went down to a lower place in Timnah both lower in moral sense and lower in a physical sense. And as we read the rest of his story, you'll see that his internal moral compass begins to change the more time he spends down in the valley. Can everybody say down? As he spends time down in Timnah, we see his moral compass begin to change. And my warning to you is this. As we soak in the culture of this world, the more time we spend exposing ourselves to the things in culture, our moral compass can begin to change. And we need to be careful as we spend time there. So three points, because, I mean, preachers, you know, three points. So number one, care about your exposure. Number one, we need to care about our exposure to the things of this world, to the things we see and hear, listen to, music, everything. 
And so let's continue in Samson's story. Same chapter, Judges 14. We'll read the same verses, starting in verse one. Samson went down to Timnah, everybody say down, and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and his mother, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as a wife. Every time as a parent you read that, it's like, I don't know. But his father and mother said to him, can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among any of your people? Can't you find someone on the high ground with your fellow Israelites? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me because I want her. Samson is a spoiled brat. Can we be real? (laughs) What an incredible sense of entitlement. Sounds a little similar to what we hear in today's culture too. Let's continue on. After some time, when he returned to get his wife in Timnah, he left the road to see a lion's carcass. Remember his vow. He was not to come in contact with this. But instead, he scooped some honey into his hands and ate it. Oh, sorry, excuse me. There was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. He scooped some honey into his hands and he ate it as he went along. Also nasty. But anyway, when he returned to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey from the lion's carcass. You see, already, as Samson has been spending time down in Timnah, everybody say down, we see him compromise on the very vow he took earlier in life. And not only that, but he begins to deceive his parents. He begins to deceive his parents, not telling them where he got the honey. You see, if we go back to that map, every time Samson went down To be with his wife or to be with the people of his wife, his moral compass began shifting from true north. Every time he went down to Timnah, he would go a little further away from where he was called. The more he hung out with his wife and those there, he was influenced by the Philistine culture. Now, there's an entire message here about dating someone thinking your relationship will get them saved. We used to call that missionary dating, but I'm not going there today. Thank God. I'll leave that for someone else. But we need to care about what we are exposed to. We need to care. Samson continually soaked in the Philistine culture, going down to Timnah, and was unguarded. He did not care about his exposure. And like Samson, we continually soak in ideas and images that we see from culture. That's actually how the enemy works, in ideas and images, things we see and ideas that we hear. And if we just sit there and soak it in, they will begin to influence us. It's inevitable. Some of the ideas you are hearing from music and social media and the entertainment industry today are these. Life is about fame, money, and erotic love. Listen to any pop song today. Those are the themes. Your identity is what you choose. Truth follows your feelings. And most of all, don't push your beliefs on others. Do any of you see these in culture today? It's literally everywhere in movies, in music, in TV, in social media. And if we expose ourselves to these ideas day in and out without actively thinking about and filtering what we see and hear, those ideas will begin to take root. And now you've developed beliefs grown out of passivity and not thoughtful consideration. I'm going to say that again. If you sit there and soak it in without actively thinking about it, you will develop beliefs grown from passivity and not thoughtful consideration. Beliefs will happen to you rather than you accepting them actively. 
And so I wanted to at least show one example of this that we see in popular culture. Again, I didn't want to spoil the new Spider-Man movie. I'm not going to do that to you. But I wanted to show a clip from one older Spider-Man movie. This is Far From Home. And it's a very short scene, but I want you to listen at how the movie talks about truth. So check out this clip. When he's suddenly off the trip, like with his family in Berlin, is no one else here interested in the truth? The very concept of objective truth is fading out of the world. George Orwell. Thank you, MJ. Yeah, well, I mean, since Peter's not really here to tell his truth, what about you, Brad? So quick, so quick, but the movie is making huge worldview claims in just a few lines. The idea of truth is fading out of culture. So-and-so is not here to speak his truth, which might be different than your truth. I'm here to tell you today that truth stands the test of time, regardless of how you feel about it, your opinion about it, or whatever you think about it. Truth is truth. And if you're not careful, those things just wash over you. And if you don't actively just think for a second, wait a minute, what did they just say? What are the implications of those lines right there? They will just begin to take root inside without you ever doing anything. I think it's interesting, too, that they give these lines to one of the most influential people in this movie. Zendaya has, like, over 40 million followers on Instagram, a huge cultural figure. And I'm not picking on Zendaya. She's reading words from a script that she was given. But I want to play one other scene from the same movie. It happens later in the movie. And I want you to think about how this movie is having its cake and eating it, too, in regards to truth. Check out this second clip. Can you save us, and why are we about to die? telling the truth even if it hurts other people's feelings i'm in love with spider-man's aunt <laughs> it's funny it's a funny scene but isn't it interesting how the movie conveniently talks about truth this way when it suits them and another way when it suits them there they talk about truth as though it really matters and it's really important but in the other hand they'll say truth is subjective it's different for you and me if we don't actively wrestle with these ideas, then they will, we will just passively accept them. We have to be able to think about them when we hear it. And I'm not saying don't enjoy movies. I'm not saying, you know, interrupt your neighbor as you're watching the new Spider-Man movie. Hey, did you hear that line? You know, that's really a worldview thing. Don't do that. That's, you just lose friends that way. You don't have to do that. But if you never think about it, you will passively accept them. And your mind will be formed in culture's image instead of Christ's. Colossians 2.8 says this, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy. We can think of that as ideas and images, an empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy. Number one, care about your exposure to these things. Number two, be aware of their effect. You have to be aware of the effect it has on you. Are you feeling a certain way? Are you thinking a certain way after exposing yourself to these things? The last time we left Samson, he was down in Timnah. He found a wife there. He began compromising his vow, deceiving his parents. And so he's already affected by the environment. Well, let's see and go further what happens to Samson. In Judges 14, starting with verse 10, the story continues. His father, Samson's father, went to visit the woman in Timnah, and Samson prepared a feast there, as young men were accustomed to do. When the Philistines, 
the enemies of the Israelites, saw him, they brought 30 men to accompany him. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can explain it to me during the seven days of the feast and figure it out, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Samson is fraternizing with the enemy, number one. And number two, he's now become a betting man. He's literally making a wager with the enemy. Let's go on. On the fourth day, those men said to Samson's wife, who was also a Philistine, persuade your husband to explain the riddle to us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. These are not good guys, apparently. Did you invite us here to rob us? So Samson's wife came to him weeping and said, you hate me and don't love me. This is manipulation in case you were wondering. You told my people the riddle, but haven't explained it to me. Look, Samson said, I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, so why should I explain it to you? But she wept the whole seven days of the feast. That's some endurance. And at last, on the seventh day, he explained it to her because she had nagged him so much. And then she explained it to her people. I'm not talking about nagging today. I know all of you want me to get into it. I'm not doing it. (laughs) But you see, culture will nag you constantly. The more you expose yourself to it, there'll be a nagging to believe this, think this about this, change your moral compass to match this. There is a constant nagging. The more time you spend in the camp of culture, the more time that Samson spent down in Timnah, everybody say down, the more time he spent down in Timnah, the more and more he compromised his vow and his beliefs. So much so that he's even giving up secrets to the enemy becoming a betting man, and he doesn't even realize how his life is changing. We can be so influenced by social media, it can literally change how we feel about our own memories. Watch this. There was a study called Quantified Nostalgia. This is a study by Benjamin Jacobson and David Beer. It says, in a new study, they found social media metrics, such as Instagram likes, can negatively impact how people feel about certain memories especially if these memories are shared without getting many likes. This study found that if you were to share a cherished memory, maybe it was a vacation with family or a picture with a loved one that's now gone, if you share that on social media and it doesn't get a lot of likes and engagement, you now associate a negative feeling with that memory. That memory that you used to cherish, you used to think back on in loving ideas, now you won't enjoy it because of how it was received on social media. What? Crazy. Another research of Temple University's Lawrence Steinberg revealed this twist. We are influenced by others, not necessarily because of any direct pressure, but just the presence of others is enough because the reward centers of our brains are more active with peers than when alone. This study was actually researching drug use in teenagers. And it said, even if a teenager is with his friends and none of his friends pressure him to do drugs, he is more likely to do it just because they're around. You see, the people you surround yourself with, regardless of what they say with their mouths, just who they are will influence you. There's a verse from Galatians 5, 9. It says, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Here's a picture of a sourdough bread. Praise the Lord, there it is. <laughs> when you bake a loaf of bread, only seven grams of yeast, a tiny, tiny amount, can work itself through an entire loaf to make it rise. 
The Bible is saying the same thing. Just a little bit of compromise, just a little bit of influence from the outside world, and it can spread throughout your entire life. It can affect your entire worldview, your entire belief system. Just a little bit can affect the whole loaf. In Samson's story, he actually leaves his first wife. Then he seeks a prostitute all the way in Gaza. And then he looks for a second wife. And guess where he looks for a second wife? Everybody say down. Exactly. Judges 16, 4, a couple chapters over. Judges chapter 16, verse 4. We now introduce the character that maybe many of us are familiar with, Delilah. It says, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the Sorek Valley. One more time, the map. Here was Timnah where he found his first wife, and now he's down here in the Valley of Sorek finding his second wife. Man did not learn his lesson. Later in chapter 16, starting with verse 16, it says this. This is Delilah and Samson. Delilah was trying to uncover the secret of Samson's strength to tell the enemies, to tell the Philistines, and watch what happens. Because she nagged him day after day, sounds familiar, and pleaded with him until she wore him out, he told her the whole truth and said to her, my hair has never been cut because I am a Nazarite to God from birth. If I am shaved, my strength will leave me and I will become weak and be like any other man. He gave up his vow completely in this moment. And then she let him fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids on his head. In this way, she made him helpless and his strength left him. Samson did not learn his lesson. He was not self-aware to see the effect the environment was having on him. So much so that he gave up the very secret to his strength, the very thing that God blessed him with from the beginning of his life, he gave it up in a moment, because he was unaware of what had happened to him. Samson had been in this environment so long, and he so passively accepted everything around him, he didn't even notice what he was doing. Number one, we need to care about our exposure. Number two, we need to be aware of the effect these ideas and images have on our lives. But finally, number three, we need to dare to go upstream from culture. You see, the tide of culture is nonstop. Anytime you look at a screen, anytime you watch anything, it's nonstop. We cannot avoid it. But here's the thing. The map, one more time. You see, we can't avoid the valley altogether because there are people down here in the valley that need to hear of Jesus Christ. Your friends, your coworkers, your family members, the people that need the love of Christ, that need to know about the forgiveness of sins, they're down here. They're down there in the valley. And God has not called us to stay up here the whole time. We do need to go down and spread the gospel. But we need to be strong enough, built up in our faith enough, to be going to church enough, worshiping enough, praying enough, being around like-minded fellow believers enough that when we go down in the valley, we affect it rather than it affecting us. When we are down in the valley, we need to be mindful and not passive in our thinking. We can't just go down in the valley and accept everything that is said to us and taught to us. We need to return to the high ground as much as possible. This is why it's so important to be in church, to be in a life group, to be spending time with fellow believers. Again, the river of culture will not stop. The TikToks, the tweets, the Netflix originals, music videos, reality shows, they're all streaming like a river, pun intended. You like that, streaming? 
And we need to be strong enough to go upstream. I, I thought of this image of salmon as they swim upriver. You see, salmon are born in fresh water, and then they travel downstream to salt water as they get stronger. They live their lives in the salt water, but when they're ready to give birth to the next generation, they literally swim upstream back to the safe place where they were born. Do you see the picture? As the church, we need to be here in the safe place, learning about God, learning about our beliefs, the foundation, apologetics, all that thing. And then we go downstream into the valley, telling people about Jesus, standing firm in our faith, and then coming back upstream against the tide of culture to the high ground. We need to be like that. As Pastor Greg has been teaching about the walls around Jerusalem built by Nehemiah, the fortifying of the city, I want to talk about that high place. In that high place is when we are influenced by the Holy Spirit instead of culture, where we can be empowered by God to go down into the valley and make a difference. And so I want us to think about these things and ask yourself these questions. What direction are you moving? Are you taking the high ground or moving down toward Timna? What direction are you going more often? Who are the people holding you accountable? Is there someone close letting you know it's time to redirect? Do you have people in your life saying, you're starting to look more like the low place and not the high place? You need to turn direction. And this last one, it might step on a toe here or there. How can we honestly know when we moved in the wrong direction instead of practicing impression management? What do I mean? It means so many can come into the church and look like they are doing everything right, say the right words, know the Christianese, know it all, but on the inside, their moral compass is turning to the valley. Is there someone close enough to you that can see through the impression management and actually say, no, you're moving in the wrong direction? Do you have someone in your life who can do that? If you don't, that's why we have life groups where you can be invested in other people's lives and others can invest in you. I want to encourage you that you can't straddle the fence between culture and the king of kings your whole life. You can't straddle the fence. I heard this illustration. There was a soldier in the Civil War. He couldn't decide what side to fight on. So his top part of the uniform was from the Union. The bottom part was the Confederacy, and he was shot from both sides. <laughs> and you see, if we try to straddle the fence between what the world looks like and what the church is supposed to look like, we're going to fall. It's not sustainable. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, it says this, Elijah, a prophet of God, approached the people and said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal, the world is God, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. I pray we are not like that, that remain silent, but that we would choose a side the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. I pray you choose him. Samson's story ended in disgrace. He was blinded by the Philistine, the enemy. He was captured. And in his last moments, he asked God to restore his strength one last time. God did. And he was able to take out some of the enemy along with him. But that wasn't Samson's purpose. It wasn't supposed to end like that for Samson. I want to go back to the beginning of his story. Judges 13, verses 24 and 25. The woman gave birth to a son, named him Samson. 
The boy grew, the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord directed him to the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. God had a plan for Samson. God had an entire life ready for Samson to do God's work in Zorah and Eshtael, literally working to save Israel from the enemy. That's what the Bible said. But because Samson chose to keep going down into the valley, he didn't fulfill that purpose that God had for him. I pray that's not the case for my life. I don't want to miss that. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are, you are, his creation in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. You are his creation made in the image of God. And there are works that God has prepared for you to do like he did with Samson. It's sad as I see a generation of young people leaving the church in America. I think it doesn't have to be this way. As the church, let us take the high ground. Let us disciple others. Let us lead them to Jesus. Let us learn the scriptures. Let us spend time with Jesus so that we could be ready to engage with culture and influence it and not the other way around. You see, this is how the church is supposed to work, in unison, together, as a family, as the body of Christ. If we work together, we can literally change the culture and change the world through it. With the power of Christ, it can be done. One more illustration, because I want to illustrate what it would look like if we as the church could move together in the Spirit. I've been watching this documentary show with Will Smith. It's called Welcome to Earth. And in an episode titled The Swarm, he talks about these starling birds. And they do this dance in the sky known as a murmuration. And I want to show you what it looks like. Literally, hundreds of thousands of starling birds flying in unison together, changing direction when they need to change. No one colliding with another. You don't see any birds falling from the sky. They all seem to be following something, moving together, working together. They look unstoppable to me. No matter which way the wind is going, I think that they could go against it and succeed. That's a picture of the church as we should be moving together in one accord, in one spirit under Jesus Christ. Now, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I'm, I'm not gonna ask anyone to raise their hands for this one, but if you feel as though maybe you've been moving too much towards the valley, you've been spending too much time down there and you can see it's having some effect, I just wanna pray over you. Heavenly Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit move on the people here at Tampa, South Shore, Plant City, online. That those who been spending time down in the valley, that they recognize it, see the effect, become aware, and then turn back to you. That they would build in their faith. They would spend time in the high ground with you, speaking to you, praying, and in the scriptures. And that you would lead them, show them your purpose that you have for their lives. And now I want to do a second call. Everyone's keeping their head bowed and eye closed. And this is for if you're saying, I need to give my life to this Jesus. I need to finally submit my life to him. I want to accept him. We're going to pray a simple prayer all together so you're not alone. But if that's you, you're saying, I want to give my life to Jesus today. We want you to pray this way too. 
So everyone says, dear Jesus, forgive me. I give you my life. I want to follow you. Teach me your ways. Keep me on the high ground for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message. Don't forget you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash crossingchurch. There you can watch all of our messages on demand, live broadcasts, and more. You can also download the Crossing Church app by going to wearecrossing.com slash app on your mobile device, and it will take you directly to our app in your app store. Thanks again for tuning in. We can't wait to see you next weekend. For our times and locations, visit wearecrossing.com.